1: Good morning ladies and gentlemen, welcome to VersaBank's second quarter fiscal 2021 financial results conference call. This morning VersaBank issued a news release reporting its financial results for the second quarter and year to date aimed April 30th, 2021. That news release along with the bank's financial statements and supplemental financial information are available on the bank's website in the Investors Relations section, as well as on Cedar. Please note that in addition to the telephone dial-in, VersaBank is webcasting its earnings conference call live over the internet. The webcast is listen-only. If you are listening to the webcast but wish to ask a question in the question and answer session following Mr. Taylor's presentation, please dial into the conference line, the details of which are included in this morning's news release and on the bank's website. For those participating in today's call by telephone, the accompanying slide presentation is available on the bank's website. Also, today's call will be archived for replay both by telephone and via the internet, beginning approximately one hour following completion of the call. Details on how to access the replays are available on this morning's news release. I would like to remind our listeners that the statements about future events made on this call are forward-looking in nature and are based on certain assumptions and analysis made by VersaBank management. Actual results could differ materially from our expectations due to various material risks and uncertainties associated with VersaBank's businesses. Please refer to VersaBank's forward looking statement advisor in today's presentation. I would now like to turn the call over to David Taylor, President and Chief Executive Officer of VersaBank. Please go ahead, Mr. Taylor.
0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's call. With me on today's call are Sean Clark, our Chief Financial Officer, Brent Hodge, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary. The second quarter saw the continuation of the momentum in our digital banking operations highlighted by increases in all key metrics on a year-over-year basis and on a substantially on all key metrics on a sequential basis. Our core digital banking operations once again delivered a number of record results. Most importantly, the highest net income in our history when we exclude the one-time non-cash accounting related to a gain generated by the amalgamation in Q1 2017. It was also a quarter that saw a number of important operational achievements that even further strengthen our prospects for the future. I'll speak to these in a moment. And I do want to note here, that even having reached new peaks across many of these key metrics, our performance was dampened by several factors. First, we still have cash balances that are higher than our historical norms, as our cash balance at the end of April, not including the proceeds of the subordinate note offering completed on the last day of the quarter, was approximately 40% higher than the average cash balance for the six months leading up to the pandemic, resulting from our very cautious stance at the start of the pandemic, as I've discussed on past calls. Second, origination in both our point of sale and commercial banking lending businesses was impacted by the lockdowns across the country throughout much of the quarter due to the pandemic. Q2 also marked the first quarter of financial contribution from Digital Boundary Group, the leading North American cybersecurity penetration testing operation that we acquired via a wholly owned subsidiary, Washington, D.C.-based DRT Cyber in November. More on this in a few minutes. The combination of our steady redeployment of cash and High market demand for financing in certain sectors of the economy were driving another quarter of solid loan growth. Even amidst the pandemic headwinds that I mentioned a moment ago, as we continued to lower our cost of funds to an all-time low, net interest income increased 4% year-over-year and 5% sequentially to $15.1 million, including The non-interest income contributed by Digital Boundary Group, total revenue increased 10% year-on-year and 4% sequentially to a record $16 million. Cost of funds decreased by 47 basis points year-over-year and 14 basis points sequentially to a record low of 1.28%. Net interest margin increased sequentially to 2.96%, although it was lower year-on-year due to the still elevated cash balances, which attract a lower yield than our lending assets. At our historic cash balances, net interest margin would have been approximately 10 to 15 basis points higher to 3.05 or 3.1%. Net income increased 12% year-on-year, 9% sequentially to 5.7 million or 25 cents per share. And your record, when we exclude the one-time non-cash gain resulting from the recognition of the deferred tax asset on the amalgamation in Q1 2017 of the bank and its former parent, PwC Capital. And finally, core cash earnings increased 12% year-on-year 9% sequentially to 7.9 million, or 38 cents per share, also a record. Turning to the balance sheet, you can see the continued growth in our total assets, which reached just over 2.1 billion at the end of the quarter, up 9% from the end of Q2 last year, and up 5% from the end of the first quarter. Our cash balance including liquid securities at the end of Q2 was 272 million. However, normalizing for the recent private placement of 75 million US dollars in subordinate notes payable and redemption of our series three preferred shares, which combined results in net proceeds of approximately 73 million Canadian dollars. Our cash balance would have been closer to 200 million Canadian dollars down from $212 million at the end of the first quarter as we continued to redeploy cash into higher-yielding assets. As a reminder, our cash position peaked at more than $400 million in Q3 of 2020 during the height of our cautionary pandemic stance. The $272 million at the end of Q2 equates to 13% of total assets still much higher than our typical cash levels in the range of six to seven percent. You'll recall that previously we had expected to return to our historical liquidity levels mid-year, but with the capital raise and the deployment of those funds to come, we now anticipate returning to normal cash levels towards the end of this year. In regards to subordinate notes payable on April 30th, 2021, we completed a private placement of U.S. institutional investors of MVCC-compliant fixed-to-floating rate subordinate notes payable, and the principal amount of 75 million U.S. or the equivalent Canadian amount of 92 million as of April 30, 2021. Importantly, this is a non-dilutive growth capital that we issued on favorable terms we were not only able to take advantage of the extremely low market interest rates, but also leverage our favorable debt and issuer rating of A minus and A rating respectively assigned by a U.S. rating agency, Eaton Jones. We were also pleased by the strong level of interest from U.S. institutional investors. The demand pushed our initial debt offering from 50 million to 75 million U.S. dollars evidenced by the strong level of interest in US investors in both the digital banking space and VersaBank in particular as a leader in this section. Finally, on the balance sheet, book value per share increased 7% year over year and 2% sequentially to $11.06. And our CET one was essentially unchanged from the end of Q1 at 12.52% and our leverage ratio declined to 9% year-on-year and 8% sequentially to 10.46%, the result of the redemption of our preferred shares and our higher loan balances. The credit quality of our loan portfolio remains very strong as the low-risk nature of our model once again proved itself. For Q2, we recorded a recovery of credit loss provisions in the amount of 312,000, following a provision for credit losses in the amount of just 57,000 in Q1. As a result, the bank's PCL ratio for Q2 was negative 0.07% compared to a PCL ratio of 0.01% in Q1, and we continue to have no loans subject to the referrals and no loans in arrears. As I noted earlier, we saw yet another sequential decline in our cost of funds to yet another record low of 1.28%. As a reminder, this number is down from 1.88% in Q1 of 2020 and has been driven primarily by the continued expansion of our insolvency professional deposits, which currently pay 0% interest. The bulk of this growth has been driven by the onboarding of deposits from new customers we have acquired over the last year, as we continue to extend our reach into the insolvency professional firms attracted to our high-value service offering. So while we expect to see continued growth from our existing customers going forward, it is more likely to be driven by the anticipated increase in bankruptcies government support payments are eventually curtailed. Our total loan portfolio increased 8% sequentially to a record high of $1.83 billion. Last quarter I described that the bank was experiencing the highest loan growth in its history. Although we continue to experience overall sequential growth, as I mentioned earlier, new loan origination was impacted by the pandemic-related restrictions which temporarily affected both our commercial real estate lending and point-of-sale business, especially real estate lending, which contracted 3% sequentially, although would still up 25% on a year-on-year basis, primarily as a result of the strong momentum prior to the reinstated pandemic restrictions, especially in Ontario. In addition to the pandemic impact, the small decline in Q1 was attributable to the deferral of two large commercial mortgages into Q3, and a typically large repayments that that um, into Q2. Point of sale increased 6% sequentially and was up 10% year on year. With a very strong Q1, loan growth for the first half of the year is up 11%, and we expect both portfolios to return to their healthy growth trajectories as the country reopens, permitting pre-lockdown levels of construction to resume. And the point of the sale business benefits from both pent-up demand and summer season. And we remain confident in our loan growth potential this year. Although it now appears that we'll be more equally weighted among the front and back halves of the year, with potential additional upside in the back half. Another important development during Q2 was the receipt of investment-grade credit rating from Egan Jones Rating Company, a U.S. nationally recognized statistical rating organization, and U.S. National Association of Insurance Commissioners recognized credit rating provider. The bank received an issuer rating of A overall and A minus rating on the 75 million U.S. dollars subordinate notes issued. I will note here that our A issuer rating is comparable to that of several of the big six Canadian Schedule I banks, and we believe an external affirmation of the low-risk nature of our digital banking model. The importance of these ratings cannot be underestimated. They significantly expand our universe of depositors, most importantly with US-based financial institutions, and open up a new low-risk lending channel, providing the opportunity to further accelerate our growth by means that were not previously available to us. In addition, as we discussed earlier, our investment-grade rating for sub-debt provides us with new option significantly lower cost, non-dilutive, tax efficient capital that was previously not available to us to fuel our growth. Moreover, these new ratings are especially valuable as we explore the potential to launch our innovative digital banking services in new geographic markets beyond Canada, where we see significant unmet needs similar to those that have driven the bank's strong growth and steady growth. Yet another highlight during the quarter was our announcement in February of our intention to launch a new, highly-encrypted digital deposit offering, VCAT. It's not only a natural evolution of our secure digital deposit-taking business, which we have been doing right throughout our history as the first digital financial institution, but more broadly, it's a natural evolution of banking industry. Once again, we are at the leading edge of the banking revolution. We strongly believe that as a Schedule I chartered Canadian bank it is incumbent upon us to provide the absolute highest level of security to our customers and DCAD does this at an entirely new level with blockchain technology. In fact, our mission when we received our Schedule 1 license and still is today to maximize the value of our common shares and total return to our shareholders by providing innovative financial solutions to our clients. There is no better example of this than VCAD. Each VCAD unit will represent a one Canadian dollar on deposit with VersaBank and can be redeemed at any time with absolute certainty around the value and ability to consummate the transaction because of its ease of transferability vCAD could potentially be used as a digital currency with the highest level of stability and security amongst digital currencies available today vCAD combines all the efficiencies, audibility and technical security of encrypted digital digital assets without the associated volatility and risk And we believe VersaBank's investment-grade issuer rating will make this a very attractive offering globally. Importantly for the bank, as a deposit offering, VCAD represents a significant potential additional source of very low-cost deposits, providing the opportunity to even further reduce our already ultra-low-cost funds. We are moving steadily through the testing and plan to launch BCAD later this summer. As our core digital banking operation delivered record results, the second quarter saw first full quarter of contribution from Digital Boundary Group, which we acquired last November through DRT Cyber. DBG has delivered more than sixty percent year over year growth in net income for the five-month period since its acquisition in November 2020, despite coming through their typically slower period seasonally, given that there is a certain amount of testing that involves outdoor work and on-site work. We have also seen some deferral engagements to later in the year due to pandemic lockdown in many parts of Canada. We are now nearly six months with DBG as part of our cybersecurity business we are making steady progress in our strategy to capitalize on the significant business development opportunities from the combined teams as both business and government grapple with the increasing number of high consequence cyber attacks that can be defended through regular penetration testing. During the quarter, DRT cyber release new email privacy compliance platform which we call Raven as an external beta to a select group of customers prior to full market release. Raven is the first and only fully automated and integrated solution that provides complete compliance with all major global anti-spam legislation. Raven is an important component of DRT Cyber's business strategy adding a privacy solution to its broader suite of cybersecurity solutions, to be able to address this critical aspect of every organization's cybersecurity needs and provide governments and corporate organizations with a comprehensive suite of effective cybersecurity solutions. At the macro level, we have all just recently witnessed cybersecurity breach yet again in the United States Maybe globally with the hacking of Colonial Pipeline, which shut down the pipeline and very quickly resulted in gas shortages throughout eastern states. It is a stark reminder of how vulnerable many of our most important IT systems are and that no one is immune to such attacks in the absence of proper security. Those behind such attacks undertake them because they can, but they are preventable. DBG provides corporate and government clients with a suite of IT security assurance services and is one of the leading penetration testers. Very simply, they find the vulnerabilities in the IT system so that an organization can address them to prevent these types of breaches. In fact, a core component of DBG's client list are infrastructure assets, which include those of one of the US preeminent investors. To conclude, our second quarter results were once again reflective of the earnings power and significant growth potential of our digital banking strategy, addressing unmet needs in banking through innovative solutions based on a proprietary software platform through a highly efficient partner-based model. With the additional capital raised through the subordinate note offering in April, Opportunities to continue to lower our cost of funds, our, our point of sale, and commercial lending business poised to benefit from relaxation of pandemic-related restrictions and the launch of our instant mortgage offering on the horizon. Our strong performance in the first half of 2021 positions versus bank for an even better second half and a return to our track record of strong year-over-year growth in annual profitability. And with that, we'd like to open up the call to questions.
2: Operator?
0: Thank
1: you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star, followed by one on your tone phone. You will hear three tone brown, acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your hands up before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question Question comes from Shihan Chenqi with SIFL. Shihan, please go ahead.
2: Oh, hey everyone. Good morning. Um, congratulations on a pretty pretty solid uh, quarter. Um, maybe just with respect to you know your cash balance, lots of different growth opportunities. It sounds like organic and inorganic. Could you just talk about your your, your capital deployment priorities after the, the sub debt raise um, in the U.S. Uh, maybe if we can start with that.
0: Well, thanks Gian. yes um cash balances are um, are uh, high uh from much higher than historic levels and um we we expect that um we will be able to deploy um some of that excess cash uh into the US market um uh, we are pursuing some uh, new relationships in the US market uh, presently and as a natural hedge to the uh, 75 million U.S. dollars that we uh, that we have uh, on deposit with uh, a major bank, uh, it would it would be nice to um, to uh, fund uh, U.S. dollar receivables. Uh, so yeah, we're looking into the states uh, for uh, for opportunities uh, to grow, and in Canada, uh, you know, they, there's a little bit of a damping effects of the uh, recent lockdowns in Ontario, both in the real estate uh, financing and the uh, point of sale. Although traditionally, uh, summer uh, point of sale rebounds as as folks are uh, out buying cars and, uh, and fixing up their homes, and I expect the uh, real estate will re- rebound also. Thanks for that, Dave. Um,
2: maybe just as a follow-up, um, if you talk about Expanding into the U.S. Um, it sounds like initially purchasing some some U.S.-based receivables. How do you guys think about um, M&A opportunities in the U.S.? Does this debt raise position you for that, or is that maybe something a little bit further down the line? How should we think about uh, that?
0: Well, eventually, I I hope that our businesses expand to the, the point uh, in the U.S. that an acquisition of um, I' thought a really I thought a thought really licensed bank would uh, would be appropriate uh, but it it's probably a somewhat down the road um it's early days in the
2: um in the expansion south of the border gotcha thanks um and maybe just on on growth loan growth appreciating that uh you know this the last couple of months ontario lockdown dampening on on construction activity. Despite that, we're still able to put up a pretty solid quarter of results and loan growth. Um, how do you think about, you know, the potential for loan growth in the back half of the year versus the first half of the year? Order of magnitude, um, any any help you can give us um, with with targeting that would be would be helpful.
0: Yeah, I expect the second half to uh, exceed the first half by uh, quite a margin. Uh, all the positive things there, uh, seasonality, the summer, uh, it's better for construction, it's better for home purchasing, uh, better for improvements. Uh, so the summer in itself, and then hopefully, um, hopefully the impact of the most recent lockdown in Ontario uh, is over. Uh, so the second half uh, should, should be a good bit better than the, than the
2: first half. Okay, and then maybe just um, an update on on instant mortgage, you said where you want in, um, in the uh, in the summertime here, um, anything you can tell us about how many partnerships you have on the funding side for that um, and any kind of additional information um, if you can provide uh, would be helpful as well, just on how the rollout's going and that kind of stuff.
0: At this point, we only have a few a few partners and uh, we've been working uh, with a mortgage servicing company to um, finish up the electronic uh, connection. Uh, So I I, I'd look for instant mortgage to go live um, probably in about uh, three weeks to a month. Um, And then uh, that, of course, opens up for us an entirely new channel of low risk weighted um, uh, mortgages. that. up until uh, the launch of instant mortgage we, we haven't had access to. We, we don't um, utilize retail uh, mortgage brokers, uh, so this is a, a new way to uh, go directly after that, uh, that business through the uh, point-of-sale partners.
2: Okay, and then just one last one for me if I could. Um, maybe just an update on, on the VCAD rollout, sounds like that. Um, you know, progressing nicely as well. Anything on the partnership side, any updates on the regulatory side, um, just any more uh, color um, on what the potential could be there and, and how you guys are positioning yourselves, um, that would be great. Well, the uh, internal testing is going uh, very
0: well with ECAD. Um, uh, we'll um, probably uh, be able to complete that in the next uh, 45 days or so. Um, with respect to the, the regu- regulatory regime that we operate in, uh, as, uh, as a, I think you know, we, our mission statement was to, uh, that we got our charter for our, our bank charter was to provide innovative financial solutions. And that uh, in itself uh, attracts uh, a lot of regulatory attention as it should. Uh, so we're we're working with our regulators, fielding uh, their questions. Um, but in the final analysis, uh, we've been taking uh, digital deposits since uh, we started the uh, the financial institution in 1993. Uh, Vcat just represents uh, an enhancement to those digital deposit receipts, and that it employs uh, blockchain technology, which of course is uh, highly encrypted and uh, takes the level of security, I think, to a much higher, uh, better level. Um, So in itself, just on those aspects, uh, VCAT is, is I think, a significant improvement over how FIs are receiving their data now. Um, But it comes with the added advantage that it enables the deposit receipt to be uh, easily transferable. And that aspect, of course, um, likely mean the VCAD can be used as a a payment vehicle. And um, uh, from a bank's perspective, if you have have a deposit that has another feature to it, uh, you can probably get away with paying less interest, and it'll probably be a lot more sticky uh, vis-a-vis, say, the traditional high-rate daily interest savings account, which is, you know, generally um, people just deposit with the bank to get the high rate of interest VCAT, that's another another utility to it, that um, will likely make it it more attractive. Uh, uh, so uh, testing wise, it's going very well, and uh, and we are continuing to work with the various regulators and answering their questions uh, as we as we do in the over the years. Every time we come up with something innovative and new, uh, it, uh, it, it, it 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 creates all kinds of uh, curiosities.
2: Appreciate uh, the color of their day. I'll pass it on from here. Thanks very much, and um, great job on a good quarter, guys. Well, thank you, Chair.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have any questions, please press star 1. We have a following question from Greg McDonald with Drug Research. Greg, please go ahead.
4: Thank you. Uh, and good morning, guys. Congrats on the quarter. Uh, David, I'm curious, just a bit of a follow-on question on the VCAD product. You do a good job describing this as, in fact, being a digital deposit, uh, and clearly there are going to be some some there's going to be some interest from the regulators. Could you define in some way where you are? You think with the relationship with the regulator on this product itself? Are you kind of in the middle of the regulator wrapping its head around slash Feeling comfortable with it? Are you closer to the end? Um, maybe just give us a sense of 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 what that sort of regulatory—I don't want to call it risk—but relationship is in, in in terms of their ability to get comfortable
1: with it.
0: Uh, Greg, I'd, I'd say we're in the middle. It, it is um, one respect. I was saying earlier, it's it's almost the same as the digital deposits that we've raised since 1993, and that, that was. That was a revolutionary change in the industry when we, uh, we started employing telephone modems and uh, the digital transfer of data. Um, but that's that now is the standard in the industry. Um, all small FIs uh, use a, a CANX system to uh, receive their deposit information uh, digitally. So VCAD, uh, in, in from that respect, looks just like uh, uh, the digital deposit receipts we presently have except for the data feed would come through the blockchain be highly encrypted and uh, we think uh, a step a step better than the existing systems um the the, the fact that it, it will be easily transferable because it is still by the blockchain um it causes regulators to uh, think about it uh a lot uh, mm-hmm. although um, yeah i i think uh, you know we've been fielding a lot of questions and um which is normal for us. Uh, as I was saying earlier, we got our charter to provide innovative solutions to, uh, to the financial industry. Uh, the government of Canada wants uh, uh, consumers to have have choice and uh, and wants to to encourage uh, innovation in the, in, uh, in our sector. Uh, so um, you know we we're happy to as we have done in the past where every other product we've come out with, I'm happy to uh, field the questions and, uh, and hopefully the regulators um, understand that this is a, a like a, a step, a step better than the existing system. And um it's another first for Canada uh, in the, in the, in the banking industry. Um, good, good for our bank being first mover advantage and good for Canada to, uh, you have to come up with another uh, innovative um, product.
4: Great. And, and on the commercial side, I mean, the question was asked earlier, but maybe there's some more comments to be made um, maybe without getting into specifics, but early interest from corporate Canada or corporate America <clears throat> on the commercial opportunity for a product like this. I have to think, that a lot of companies are looking at the volatility in Bitcoin and and really kind of questioning the potential to be using that medium for payments or any other commercial application. What what kind of interest are you getting from corporate Canada on this? And and maybe get a give us a sense of that.
0: Well, we're we're getting a lot of interest from the biggest payment uh, companies in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I think that as, as seen as it is. Uh, kind of a, a breakthrough in uh, in digital uh, currencies and that it's the first digital currency that would carry an A rating, uh, for one thing. It's the first digital currency that is issued by a highly regulated uh, bank. Uh, and um, rather than being tethered to an asset to, to create stability, it actually is the asset. It actually represents a deposit of the bank. So it, I think it's a huge uh, a huge breakthrough in, uh, in virtual currencies and uh, we'll, I think it will be an ideal payment vehicle and that has been recognized almost instantly by, uh, by payment people in, in the world as soon as we announced it, uh, that this uh, it makes all the other tethered currencies and digital currencies somewhat obsolete. Okay, that's
4: helpful. And then the last question I have is just on DRT, you mentioned the Colonial Pipeline hack. Clearly, security overall remains front and center in headlines. That's got to be front and center with corporations out there. Um, Launched a new privacy product. That's an important product in in, in terms of major themes these days. Where do we stand on the suite of products overall for DRT? And and just maybe a a general update on that, something that would be helpful. Thanks.
0: Well... uh d r t has developed a lot of in house uh products one being raven that we just uh spoke about um we're we're still in the uh, integration with d b g and um stage where we're uh, uh sort of not quite ready yet to go hard hard at the market with the new products but we we have been um we have been introducing uh, other other products were developed uh, to DBG's customers and and to uh, other other entities in the United States and particularly the United States and some in Canada. So it's it's still early days uh, with the full integration of DRTC with with DBG, uh, but um, we're uh, you know we think the market is is demanding uh, a kind of uh, a kind of uh, state of the art. Uh, cybersecurity that DRT ha- has to offer,
4: and and then just context on growth. I mean that that business is still growing independently. These two, as you're integrating, are still growing at double-digit rates. Any reason to think that that outlook is is changing in any way? It
0: should it should grow faster than that. It, okay. uh, DBG, uh, based on its unaudited financial statements um, from the. Same period last year, uh, it's up about 60% this year, uh, and this is going into its um, its growth season. Uh, in that, um, a lot of the penetration penetration testing is actually done physically, and has been deferred somewhat by the uh, by the lockdown and also by the the winter. Um, so it you know 60% growth is is basically what it's doing now, but it should be way way more than that.
2: Okay. Thanks. I'll leave it I'll
1: leave the
4: rest of questions for others. Thanks. Dave.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Your next question comes from Trevor Reynolds with Acumen Capital. Trevor Trevor, please go ahead.
5: Hey guys. Um just wondering if you can touch a little further on the uh expansion opportunities that you're seeing in the US and, and whether it's a risk having that uh, that US currency right now. Um given where uh rates have
0: uh, have gone. Uh yeah, Trevor, good question. Um we uh, we, yeah, it's just, it's, uh I think everybody knows having a look at our, our model over the years we're we're somewhat risk averse and don't like taking uh any, uh, any additional risk, uh, particularly currency risk. So, the entire proceeds of the uh, U.S. dollar raise is sitting in uh, in U.S. dollars in, in a Canadian bank account. Uh, so, we're, we're naturally hedged from from that respect. Uh, we we're hoping uh, that we can deploy at least that amount uh, fairly soon into U.S. dollar receivables. Again, naturally hedging, but uh, affording us a much higher yield than we're presently uh, presently uh getting a, a as a, a cash deposit um we think there's a huge opportunity in the united states for our point of sale program um but it's early days uh you know we're um, we're uh, working on a couple of beachhead transactions uh, presently and um thereafter we we'll hope to uh, expand our um, our product offering uh uh in, in a few states that are uh, seem close by and uh and um easy to access
5: Perfect, and then can you touch a little bit more just on that uh your cash position and and uh, you did kind of mention that you expect to be at normalized uh you know levels at the end of the year is that uh you know just maybe how you expect that to trend down over the next quarter or two well um as the loans
0: grow, point of sale loans and uh, real estate loans, we'll will be funding out cash and just letting the uh, the cash balances wind down. It was a bit of an anomaly at the end of the quarter, in that um, they, we closed the um, the support and debt offering, and on the last day uh, that bumps it up by about ninety uh, two million Canadian, and there was a few uh, large uh, uh, commercial mortgages that we uh, were. Uh, thinking would be funded towards the end of the uh, quarter, but have been deferred into the third quarter. So uh, we would we would hold onto cash uh, to fund those large mortgages, and they were deferred. So it, it's kind of a, a little bit of an anomaly at the end of the uh, Q2. Uh, so um, you know, with loan growth, uh, we'll we'll just let the cash balances uh, uh, reduce. Historic level, 6-7%, so uh, almost half of what uh, what we have
5: today. Good. And have those two large uh, uh, mortgages gone through now or no? No,
0: I don't think so. Um, I think one
2: might have, uh, have, and I
0: think the other one's due to go. Um, Pandemic things slow slow those type of fundings down too. Uh, The other thing about pandemics uh, is um, they speed up uh, new uh, home purchases uh, as folks are leaving major centers and kind of keen to buy uh, residences on the outskirts of major centers. Uh, So we're we're seeing more rapid paydowns, which is good from a banker's perspective. Uh, We we see our loans rolling over uh, more rapidly than they would normally because folks are, are keen. Uh, you know, when a condo is ready to be purchased, it, it is purchased. Uh, and then, um, the pandemic itself slows down some of the, uh, the, uh, process and in, in funding loans. Um, but you know, it's, it's all, hopefully, uh, most of that's behind us, uh, now in uh, North America, hopefully, uh, we can get, uh, sort of normal business and, um, uh, so all in all, I, I see the second half, uh to to be a better half
5: than the first half,
0: which first half was 11% growth. So second half should
5: be better. Perfect. And then just uh, one more, just on the the insolvency market and kind of what you um, are you starting to see that pick up at all, uh, or do do we really need to get to the the end of the pandemic before that uh, has you know start to see that really have an impact. Well,
0: no we're, we're not seeing any any uh, increase in insolvencies. It's still I think a 10 year low for insolvencies. But the balances are still growing in that um, the firms that adopted our, our software package are still uh, transitioning their their accounts over to us. so uh, the the balances in our insolvency uh, portfolio of deposits is still going to straight up in a straight line uh which is uh, it was, it was very nice uh but I, I expect it to to swing up uh uh when the um uh, when the support payments uh finally are ended uh in that uh you know unfortunately there's a lot of a lot of businesses and, and people have been living on the edge uh that uh support payments
5: have kept them out of insolvency great that's uh That answers my questions. I'll hand the line back. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have any questions, please press star 1. It appears we have a following question from Shihan Chenki with Seifel. Shihan, please go ahead.
2: Yeah, guys, thanks. Just a couple of quick um, modeling related questions, if you don't mind, um, with respect to all the different initiatives you have going on, um, just wondering what we should expect for that efficiency ratio line um, relative to you know, for the back half of the year versus the first half of the year. Any color you can give us on that front would be helpful as well.
0: Uh, the efficiency ratio should improve in the uh the second half uh in that um a digital boundary group uh is is moving into its uh its most profitable uh, part of the year and um you know provides a fair amount of uh of revenue um the other uh with the loan, the net interest income from the loan growth uh will help too uh and there isn't um, much in terms of fixed cost increase. So uh, the, the back half, uh, the efficiency ratio uh, should drop below 50 cents. Um, I think April 30th number was 48 cents. Uh, so uh, it, it should, you know, ideally it's, you know, with a, with a uh, low growth, it, it should be getting into, uh, should keep on going down to around 30, but that'll take a number of years.
2: Thanks, Dave. And then just another one um, with respect to reserving. Looks like there was so there was a release this quarter, consistent with basically any bank in North America. How should we think about uh, potential reserve releases going forward? I know that you've generally been um, from a reserving perspective, it's never been a very large line item. But um, you know, how can we uh, should should we expect any more variability? In that line, as well going forward, well, you probably a little bit more to go
0: um our portfolio of course um stands up very well uh you know with no no deferrals and no loan, even in arrears at the end of uh at the end of the quarter um it, it doesn't uh, generally speaking it doesn't attract very very large reserves, so there's probably a little bit more to go um but, in, as you say, in our case, reserves are a very small number to start with, um, the way we're structured. Um, so, not, they're not big numbers, but there's probably a little more ago.
2: Appreciate that. And just one last question, again, a modeling perspective. On your funding costs, excluding the impact of the sub-debt issue in the U.S., um, how can we think about that going forward as well? I think it was around um, interest on deposits was average about just over 1.5% cost of funds. Um, is that potentially going lower or higher for the back half of the year? Any color you can give us on that would be helpful too.
1: Well,
0: ex- excluding the impact of the subordinate uh, debt, which is about a 20 basis point increase, um, it should keep going down overall the quarter was 1.28 percent and uh, the uh, insolvency deposits are still building nicely uh, and you know it well could be that they'll spike uh, when uh, when sur payments and such come to an end uh, so you can still look forward to uh, a uh, decrease in, uh, in our cost funds um, excluding the 20 basis point impact of the uh, of the sub
2: Thanks very much. That's it for me.
0: Alrighty. Well, Chan, thank you very much for those questions. And
5: uh, if, are there any more questions?
1: There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Taylor, you may proceed.
5: Alrighty. Well,
0: I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. And I look forward to speaking you, to you uh, at the time of uh, our next uh, quarterly call. Um If you have any uh any questions that come to mind uh, later on don't hesitate to send me an email i uh, would ha- happy to uh, field the questions and thank you very much for your interest have a good day ladies and gentlemen this concludes your conference call
3: for today we thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines